invite you to join me in your Bibles, your pew Bibles, to page 1890, where we find our scripture reading for the night, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Thus far the reading of God's holy word, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Purpose. What is your purpose? Not too uh, long ago, I remember that every single Christian bookstore would have Rick Warren's book, Purpose Driven Life. That has not aged well. Purpose Driven Life. What is your purpose in life? Um, that's something that we as Christians should often ponder. What do you want out of life? What is your one goal or desire? In fact, the Westminster Shorter Catechism begins with this very question. Um, Wealth, power, pleasure, notoriety, respect, popularity. Well, this is what I'm going to suggest Christians should have as their goal. The desire to follow Christ wherever he leads them. To honor Christ in everything they do. And to give loving obedience to their master all the days of their life. And so, it's follow. Honor. Give. Loving obedience to the Master all the days of their life. This is going to uh, hopefully help us grasp what our passage is talking about tonight as we continue on in our study of 1 Peter. And as we look at um, what it means to live for God. In Christ, we are dead to sin and made alive to God. Our theme tonight is in Christ, we are dead to sin and made alive to God. We have three points. These are all being juxtaposed with 
the choice of sin, right? Suffering instead of sin. Saltiness instead of sin. And salvation instead of sin. So let's look at this first point. Together. Tonight, suffering instead of sin. Once again, we have a therefore, and we have to ask, what's the therefore? Therefore, right? This is Peter bringing us back into what he's talked about before. This is back in verse 17 and 18 of chapter 3, where we read, It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. So, this is what the therefore is pointing back to. And that's why Peter then says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, suffered bodily, right? Why is it important that Peter is bringing this up? Because he's talking to Christians who are living in their pilgrim bodies. They're living in their uh, non-permanent bodies, their non-resurrection bodies. They're living in the same body that Jesus had when he lived in this world, besides the fact that he was the Son of God, right? Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves. Arm yourselves. Um... This is actually the word gird. I think the King James keeps that. Gird yourselves. And it's always funny because if, um, I, mean, I mean, it's funny because back in that day, they used to wear really long robes. And so, if they were going to uh, go running or have to take off, the way they would gird themselves would be by taking that robe and bringing it up between their legs and tying it. So it kind of looked like they had a big diaper on. Uh, and this is what Peter is saying. He's saying you need to ready yourselves, right? Um, you need to gird yourselves. You need to be prepared. You need to arm yourselves. Um, you, need to, uh, you need to know when Cabela's sells their ammo. Right, Rick? <laughs> you need to arm yourselves with this attitude. Now, this is uh, very similar to the way that Paul says in Philippians, uh, you need to have the same mind amongst yourselves. This is the same way that Paul talks about uh, Christians and Corinthians when he says, you now have the mind of Christ. Peter is saying we should arm ourselves with the same attitude that Christ had. What was the attitude that Christ had? The attitude that Christ had is verse 17. It's better if it's God's will... To suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. The same attitude that um, uh, Peter is saying we should have of Christ is, if we are doing right, if we are 
living the way that God wants us to live and we suffer, um, it's better. It's better that we suffer because of the right that we're doing instead of the wrong that we're doing. Right? And this is the same attitude that Jesus had. He was looking at the cross ahead of him with the understanding that I am suffering for the ultimate right. So that if I die, I can die for sins, once for all the righteous, for the unrighteous, to bring my people, to bring my chosen ones to God. This is the choice put before us. Um, suffering for doing good. Suffering instead of sin. And this is the reasoning Peter gives. Because he who has suffered in the body is done with sin. Now this is not what Peter's saying. Peter is not saying we should go charging into every opportunity we have to suffer. Because whenever you suffer for sin, that means you're done with sin. No. What he is saying is in the transformation of your life now as a Christian... If you are living for God, if you are living in accordance or in, in, in step with the Spirit, if you are living a, a, a Spirit-filled life, and because of this, you receive suffering, because of this, you experience suffering, this is, um, this is uh, something, this is an attitude that kills sin. It's a sin-killing attitude if you're willing to suffer. For the sake of Christ. If you're willing to suffer rather than sin. What do I mean by that? Well, um, this is what I mean by that. Typically, in this world, if you have the attitude of go along to get along, right? If you have the attitude of go along to get along, typically... If in this world you're seeking to um, um, not stand out like a sore thumb. Um, if in this life you're saying, if I do this, this thing, then, you know, these people won't give me a hard time. If I give in to this kind of peer pressure, then this won't uh, make me stand out. This won't make me stick out. This won't make me weird to other people. I'm just going along to get along, okay? If in this life you don't look any different than the rest of the people who live in this world, if in this life you choose sin, right, instead of suffering, the, the reason why you would do that is because it makes your life easier for the time being. You see what I'm saying? It makes your life easier. Um, one that doesn't draw attention, one that doesn't get you picked on, one that doesn't make you stand out. And the example that I would sort of give to you uh, from the biblical sense would be that the person that the author of the book of Hebrews is writing Hebrews to are a group of Jewish Christians. This is, this is a theory. They're a group of Jewish Christians who um, are pondering the idea of going back to the synagogue going back to uh, having just be back in the Jewish assembly, right? 
And they're thinking to themselves, hey, you know what? There's nothing wrong with doing these Jewish practices. And then, you know, in my heart, I'll just say, but yes, Jesus, I know you're the Messiah. Right? And the author of the book of Hebrews is saying there's nothing to go back to. Don't go back to that. But what they were wanting to do was to choose the easier path, you know, in the meantime, in the here and now. Choose the easier path because at that time they were getting persecuted. They were getting picked on for having made their stand with Jesus. Um, Peter's saying, don't do that. Arm yourselves with the same attitude that Jesus had, which was this attitude. It doesn't matter how much suffering I may experience, I am choosing to do the will of God. I'm choosing to be faithful. And that's the kind of attitude that kills sin in you. Because the sinful kind of attitude says, I want to make life easier for me. And if all I got to do is give a little pinch of incense to the, uh, to the emperor... You know, in my heart, I don't, I, I don't really think that, that I, you know, I'm not really praying to the emperor. But if all I got to do is just give a little pinch of incense to the emperor. If all I got to do, maybe for Peter's first century audience, uh, audience is, is go to the temple and leave a little offering. But really, I'm not, you know, if that, that's all I got to do. And then my life will become less complicated. My life will not, you know, cause attention be brought to me and this kind of getting picked on and suffering to be wrong, then I'm going to do it. No, if you choose to suffer for what is good, you have the same attitude as Jesus. And as a result, Jesus did not live the rest of his life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. And, and, and Peter's saying, you should do the same. Do not live the rest of your earthly life for evil human desires, but for the will of God. The Christian that's willing to suffer instead of sin is saying, I am willing to give up whatever this life might have had in store for me that would have made my life cushy and nice and easy if it means that I get to pursue the will of God. If it means I get to pursue the will of God. So then that brings us to our, our second point. Now, um, in our modern day and age, uh, salty means you've got an attitude, right? Like you've got some saltiness. Like, man, you didn't have to, to be salty about that. Um, that's sort of a, a, a more modern use of salty, but the way I'm using salty is in the sense of be the salt of the earth, right? Be salt, um, be the light, um, be evangelistic, make your life be salty for the gospel. And what I mean by saltiness instead of sin is what Peter is talking about in verses 3 and 4. He says, um, you've spent enough time Um, Peter says, you've done your time doing the things that the pagans choose to do. You've spent enough time living your life for pointless, um, you could say, evil human desires, as he mentions in verse 2, right? 
Uh, you spend enough time doing that. What pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. This is very similar to the, um, the list of, uh, of sins that Peter, uh, Paul gives in Galatians um, of the flesh, you know. These are, this is just a, a, a smithering, uh, a, a, an example of what it means to be a, a pagan in, in Peter's day and even in our day. What it means to just give yourself over to evil human desires. Um, it means that you pursue these kinds of things, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Peter's saying, you spend enough time doing that. Um, in the, the letter of 1 Peter, he talks about how um, you, you, uh, you used to do these things, following after the ways of your ancestors, right? Um, but you've got new ancestors now. Um, This is the same thing Peter's saying here. You've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, all these things. And then the second thing that he says is, um, basically, these people think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. So you stick out, like I said, like a sore thumb, um, and they heap abuse on you. Now, I think what's intended here is, is verbal um, mockery, right? And, and what Peter's saying here is these Christians that he's writing to have chosen a different sort of way of life than all their neighbors have chosen. And it's such a distinctly different way of life um, that uh, they, uh, their neighbors think it's strange that um, they don't join them. And because of that, they say, ha ha, you silly Christians. Um, you're ridiculous. Why, why, why aren't you having fun like we're having fun? Why aren't you doing the things that we're doing? And at that time, first century audience, Peter's probably writing to a, a, a largely Gentile audience in, in a Gentile city, a very Greco-Roman city, where even the whole um, practice of, of, of their, uh, the lives of their citizens was just wrapped in, in sin. Uh, one of the ways that you showed that you were a good citizen oftentimes was by uh, spending money at the uh, local temple, which was really just... Um, place where you paid money to prostitutes. And that's how you offered prayers and worship to their gods. Um, this is the kind of thing that uh, was accepted as the way that you're a good Roman citizen. And these people now have believed in Jesus Christ. They've now been given a living hope, a new birth into a living hope. And they're looking at the way that they used to live, and they're saying, I don't want to live like that anymore. I've done enough of that. I want to be dead to sin and made alive to God in Christ Jesus. And because they're making this stance, um, they're salty. They're salty. 
they are they're standing out. And I want to I want you to think I want you to think about your own life and the way and the choices that you make. Does do they make you stand out in the midst of this pagan culture and society? It's what it really is. How do your choices make you stick out like a sore thumb, make other people verbally heap abuse on you? Once again, I'm not saying that this is something that we should be asking for, um, but this is something that Peter's audience is facing. And I think as the contrast grows more and more, as our American culture, which is so very much influenced by the Judeo-Christian worldview, it goes further and further away from that, and we have Christian people who stand firm on the truth, and, and we become more and more unlike the rest of the world that we live in. Are we ready to have these kinds of abuses heaped on us? Because we choose not to, um, to do the things that they're doing. And what I want you to imagine is that as that contrast grows and grows, there is an opportunity to be salty. There's an opportunity to let our lives be um, an expression of the work that Christ has done. There's an opportunity, as Peter's always uh, already said, to be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asked you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but to do so with gentleness and respect. And maybe, maybe there's an opportunity when people are pursuing those, the drunkenness, the orgies, and the crowding and the detestable idolatry, and they more and more realize that this is unfulfilling, more and more realize that there's something more that they were built for, more and more realize that this is an empty way of life, and they look at you and they say, hey, you don't do these things that I do to make me happy, that I think I need to do to make me happy, but you look so filled with joy, you look so happy, you look so content, how, how is it that you have this life? even though um, I'm trying to do all these things to make me happy and I can't. How is it? And you could say, it's because Jesus. Because my Savior died for sins once for all the righteous, for the unrighteous to bring me to God. He was put to death in the body, made alive by the Spirit, and, and because I am in Him, I was put to death in the body. My sin was killed. And I've been made alive to God. These are the things I used to chase after, just like you. But I realized that Christ is really what I was seeking in all those broken cisterns. And you can have Christ too. It's an opportunity to be salty. What about this final point? Oh, this is where it gets tricky. Salvation instead of sin. When Peter says in verse 5, but they will have to give account to him who's ready to judge 
the living and the dead. A day of reckoning is coming. A day of reckoning is coming. Peter is trying to give encouragement to these Christians. He's already said back in verse 13, Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed, right? There's a blessing in suffering for what is right. And here, once again, Peter's offering an encouragement to these Christians. He's saying, no matter what these people do, if, um, if they heap abuses on you until the very last day of their life, um, nobody gets away with what they've done. You understand that, right? Nobody gets away with what they've done. If these pagans that these Christians are living with heap abuse after abuse upon these Christians, if they even bring uh, physical harm to these Christians, if they mock them, if they do that the rest of their lives and then they die, there is somebody waiting for them. The one who's going to judge the living and the dead. And they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. You understand this, right? That this is something that is central to the Christian faith. It's something that should comfort us knowing that every, every single one of us is going to have an, give an account, but especially the enemies of the Christian faith. Those who mock us, those who persecute us, unrelentingly and without repentance, they will not get away with what they've done. You see, in our day and age, in our country, it seems like um, the, the justice system, the court system has become ultimatized because they, our, our, uh, our godless culture doesn't believe in a judgment after death. They think they're the judgment. But they don't realize there's one who's coming to judge the living and the dead. And they will have to give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. These people who are heaping abuses on you because you don't jump into their river of sin with them. And they will have to give an account. And then Peter... Um, Peter makes another point, another comforting point for these Christians. Um, the word for needs to be understood as a connecting term. For this is the reason the gospel was preached to those who are dead. That's what the original Greek says. Now the NIV, I think, has tried to make it more understandable. Um, but in so doing, they've also given their own particular interpretation on this. The translators. For this is the reason the gospel is preached even to those who are now dead. So that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Now there's been there's all kinds of um, 
debate about this particular verse, verse 6. If, it, if you read it as, this is the reason the gospel was preached to those who are dead, um, you have to ask yourself, well, who is Peter referencing? Um, who are those who are dead? Um, and and um, what does it mean? That they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Okay, so this is one verse that people use to defend uh, the view that uh, people get a second chance after um, they're dead. That the gospel is preached to people who have died. So if they didn't believe it when they're living... Um, that maybe they'll, they'll get a chance to believe it when they're dead. Okay? Seems like a real um, nifty option. Because if you know the heart of men, this is probably what they'd say. You mean I don't have to believe it in this life? Well, then I'm going to have as much fun as I possibly can in this life. And then in the next life, I'll see. Yes, I believe it. But there are some who look at this verse and say, if the gospel is preached to those who are uh, dead, um, it means that they have uh, the opportunity to believe after they've died. Um, but this doesn't make sense, um, I don't think. No, actually, I know. It doesn't make sense. Because people don't get a second chance. Um, there is, for everyone, um, death and then the judgment. That's all there is. So uh, there's also been another interpretation on this. And it's about uh, connecting it to um, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. Jesus through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, that whole very confusing passage that I tried to um, make less confusing for you last week, and I don't know if I succeeded or not. Um, and then um, the other interpretation is sort of what, what the NIV is trying to communicate by saying, this is the reason the gospel is preached, even to those who are now dead, um, which is um, Christians who have died, okay? I am uncertain whether it's... Um, the second option or the third option. So what I'm going to try to do is give both of those to you and, and show you that whether it's one or the other, this is meant to be an encouragement to the Christians, okay, um, that Peter's writing to. The reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, if it's referring to um, chapter 3, verse 19 through 20, and if chapter 3, verse 19 through 20 is um, meant to be understood the way that I've expressed it, um, then what uh, Peter is saying is not that when Christ was in the grave, he went in the spirit and preached to spirits who are in prison, but rather in the spirit of Christ, 
uh, he preached during Noah's day to the spirits who are now dead and in prison, okay? So that's what is being understood by uh, this is the reason the gospel is preached even to those who are now dead. It wasn't preached to them when they were dead. It was preached to them when they were alive, but now they're dead. And if it's in reference to 3, 19 through 20, then what he's talking about are unbelievers, right? Those Christ preached through in the spirit through Noah, they didn't believe. How do we know they didn't believe? How do we know they didn't believe? They weren't on the boat, right? They weren't on the boat. Only eight survived. The rest heard the gospel of repentance from Noah. Judgment is coming. Turn from your sins. Come on to the ark. That is, believe in Jesus, right? Come on to the ark and you will be saved. And none of them believed except Noah and his family. That's what chapter 3, verse 19 to 20 I believe, is saying. And so Peter is saying here, in correlation with that, this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead so that these people might understand that when they are being having abuses heaped on them, when those people are coming to them and persecuting them, these Christians can know that there's, um, that there's a reason why they preach the gospel to these people still, right? That their preaching of the gospel to them is not in vain. When you share the gospel with someone who does not believe, it is not a pointless effort. It's not a failed thing. First of all, because every time they hear the gospel is another opportunity for them to believe. It's another opportunity for the Spirit of God to be at work in their life. It's another opportunity for for God to soften their heart and for them to turn and believe and repent from their sin, right? Um, You never stop preaching the gospel to someone. But secondly, if you share the gospel with them but they never believe and at the end of their days they die that gospel will come in judgment against them. Then I might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. So that's one way to understand this, right? Peter's trying to tell these Christians that um, you should be encouraged that you're sharing the gospel with these people who are heaping verbal abuses on you and might even possibly bring physical persecution against you because that gospel preaching that you gave to them while they are alive is still meaningful when they're dead, right? Which in some sense is the same point he's making by saying they're going to have to give an account to him um, who's coming to judge the living and the dead. Now, I lean more towards um, this third option, though, okay? And that is that Peter might be telling these Christians something that they need to know about Christians who have believed in the gospel and who have now died. Um, The the reason the gospel is preached even to those who are now dead, that is Christians who believed in the gospel when they were alive, but now they're dead, is so that they might be judged according to men. And this is why I think it might be this. Judged according to men. What does that mean? 
but live according to God in regard to the Spirit, okay? Um, this is what I think it means if Peter continuously is pointing back to um, the example of Jesus Christ. When Jesus was being dragged and, and accused of crimes, spat upon, and, uh, and, and beaten, when Jesus was having the crown of thorns pressed upon his skull, when he was uh, mockingly clothed in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a robe, when he had to carry his own death instrument, the cross, naked, all the way to Golgotha, to Calvary, when he was hung on that cross there and everybody pointed at him and laughed and said, are you going to save yourself now? Are you really the king of the Jews? If God really does care about you, why don't you call to him? If this, this was all happening, Jesus was being judged according to men, right? He was being judged according to men. That is, um, in the sense that men think, ha ha, this is ridiculous. Ha ha, obviously you're not the son of God. Ha ha, obviously you're not who you said you were. Um, and, and this is the same way that we as Christians um, can experience this kind of mockery and suffering. Especially when we're dying. You see what I'm saying? You said that Christians live the abundant life. You said that Jesus gives you eternal life. You said that your life was going to be so much better than mine. But look at you. You've had all this suffering. You've experienced all this hardship. And look at me. I'm living the good life now. I'm living it up right now. This is what you thought this was going to be for you. But look, it's actually been better for me. I didn't choose Jesus and my life is better. You chose Jesus and now you're dying and you suffered and you've had a horrible life. You're being judged according to men, right? But what did Jesus' judgment, according to men, result in? His vindication as the Son of God. He was buried in the grave, and three days later he was raised. And nobody who saw Jesus in his resurrection body was laughing then. And Jesus is our example. And Peter is saying, you may experience the same kind of mockery. You may experience the same kind of suffering that Jesus experienced. And you may even die in this life. In fact, most likely you will. But when you are judged in your body according to men, you have to remember you live according to God in regard to the Spirit, just like Jesus, you will be resurrected. You will be resurrected. You chose salvation instead of sin. Every single other person who mocks you because you chose salvation instead of sin, you chose Christ instead of sin, is going to realize on that day that their bank account is empty, that they're in the negative, that sin was the wrong choice, that you made the right choice, you're forever, you are going to live with God for all eternity because you found the greatest treasure in this world to be Christ and not something else. What's your purpose in life? What do you want out of life? What is your one goal, your one desire? If in Christ 
You have declared yourself dead to sin and made alive to God. It should be your desire to follow Christ wherever he leads you, to honor Christ in everything you do, and to give loving obedience to your master all the days of your life, to say again and again and again, I'm my only comfort in this life is that I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We pray with you. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Thank you that you have done such a great salvation for us. You have not only justified us, but you are sanctifying us. Lord, may we suffer for doing good instead of choosing the easier path of least resistance of sin. Lord, and may we be salty in this life instead of choosing to jump into the river of debauchery and idolatry that the rest of this world is choosing to do, even if it brings us mockery. Lord, may we understand that those who do not believe in your Son, Jesus Christ, will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. May we know that if we have believed the gospel in this life, even if we die, even if we receive mockery and persecution according to men in regards to our body, we live according to you in regard to the spirit. We are alive. We are truly alive. We're dead to sin and made alive to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.